Thank you for downloading or streaming this message from Emmanuel Church. We are one church with multiple locations, and we believe God wants to bless you right where you are. In a few moments, you're going to hear some practical teaching from God's Word that I believe will be inspiring and relevant to your life. First, though, if you haven't yet experienced Emmanuel Live, we encourage you to go to our website, eclife.org, to check out our service times and locations so that you can experience Emmanuel in person or through our online campus. If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclife.org and click on the Giving tab and choose Online Campus at your campus. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. Well, good morning, Emmanuel Church. How are you feeling today? It is so good to be back with you. Last week, uh, my wife and I were able to get away on what we would call a true vacation. Uh, we went away by ourselves without the children. That would have been a trip if we would have taken them. Uh, many of you know the difference. We, just, we had a fantastic time. We try to follow a 777 plan every seven days, a date, every seven weeks, an extended date, like a two-day thing, and then every seven months to do a true vacation. Uh, and we've done that for 23 years now. And so it's amazing. And I'm just thankful that uh, I'm able to get away and, and have some folks step in like Micah and Delilah deliver a great message. Didn't he do a great job last week? A few of those of you who are here. Very, very thankful for him. And uh, hey, real quick, if this is your first time at any one of our locations, whether you're joining us at Banta, Franklin, Garfield Park, uh, down in Seymour, if you're joining us at one of our microsites here at the Greenwood Campus or online, we want to give you a very special welcome. Can we give it up to our, all of our first-time guests? <clears throat> Thank you for uh, tuning in, whether you're watching at home or getting up on a Sunday morning. That's a tough thing to do, especially if you have children, getting the kids ready, getting them to church. And so we don't take that lightly. We've prayed for you, we've prepared for you, and we've planned for you. So thanks for being here. And for those of you who are not brand new, welcome back. Uh, we're in a series right now called Unreasonable. We began this series with a quote from a guy named George Bernard Shaw. He said this, the reasonable man, the reasonable person, adapts himself to the world the unreasonable one persists in trying to adapt the world to himself. Therefore, all progress depends on the unreasonable person. You were designed to make progress. We are happiest, we are healthiest when we're moving forward in our life. Whether that's in school, whether you're trying to get a degree in college or trying to graduate high school or you're trying to you know, make progress at a job or, you know, earn, you know, move up in a company or if you're in a relationship and you want the relationship to get better, we are happiest and healthiest when we are making progress. We're most unhappy, most discouraged when we are stuck, when we are going backwards, when we're not making progress. God wants you and has designed you to make progress, but there are forces holding us back, things like Limiting beliefs, things like voices of other people, things like fear, things like distraction that block us from making progress. And if we allow those forces to block us from making progress, we end up living an average life. We talked about that in the first week, that average is just average. It's just mediocre. And what that means is unfulfilled potential. We get to the end of our life and we're filled with all kinds of regrets of what could be and should be but we didn't do it because we allowed the forces to stop us from making progress in our life. We've been talking about the Wright brothers in this series, how they did not allow the forces, the fear, the fear of dying or the, the mockers or the people saying to them, you can't fly. If God would have you know, wanted man to fly, he would have given us wings. Like all the people that were working against them, all the challenges they had. 
If they would have allowed those forces to stop them, then they wouldn't have invented flying. In fact, the Wright brothers said this. I think it was Orville. He said, if we would have worked, if we all worked on the assumption that what is accepted is true, that man can't fly, then there would be little hope for progress. You can take that idea and apply it to your life as well. We have to bust through those forces. So we talked in week number one about believing the impossible. Last week, Micah talked about embracing or delighting in danger. Today, I want to talk to you about this third principle of what it looks like to become an unreasonable person so that you can become the person God created you to be and do the things that he put you on this planet to do. If you're, to- if you're a note taker, write this down. Unreasonable people see obstacles as opportunities. Here's what's true. On the road to progress, there are always obstacles. Always. Every single one of us has obstacles. No one has an easy path. You try to make progress uh, in in your marriage, there's going to be obstacles. You try to make progress in your physical fitness, there's going to be obstacles. There are always things that come up in our life that block us or hinder us from making progress. Sometimes it's a, a sickness. Sometimes it's a car accident. Sometimes it's a betrayal. Sometimes your spouse cheats on you. Sometimes you just get stabbed in the back. Sometimes the, the, you know, the luck of the draw, just, it doesn't go your way. Bad circumstances come your way. There are always obstacles that come up when you're trying to make progress in your life. And here's the problem that most of us have. Most people see obstacles as stop signs. Here's what I hear so much from, from people when they talk about the difficulties in their life as they're trying to move forward. I mean, if, if, if it were God's will for me to do this or do that, it wouldn't be so hard. That's what people say. And I'm like, really? Do you think I have it easy? Do you think she has it easy? Do you think he has it easy? Here's, 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 this might change your life. If, if you just would just pay attention, write this down. Everything is hard. Have you noticed? Marriage is hard. Raising children is hard. Moving forward in your company or at work is hard. Making money is hard. It's hard. Everything's hard. Getting in shape is hard. You know, staying clean off drugs and alcohol, hard. It's all hard. Does anybody have, has anybody found Easy Street? I haven't. It's all hard. It was hard for the Apostle Paul. And Jesus actually verbally talked to him one day. Like, knocked him off his horse, said, hey, you're you're my guy. You're my guy. I want you to go take this gospel message out to the world. Last week, Micah talked about the Apostle Paul and how he embraced danger. What if the Apostle Paul was the type of guy that saw obstacles as stop signs? Ah, this is really hard. I'm not going to preach anymore. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul is writing about how he was whipped five times with 40 lashes each time on his back. He was beaten with rods three times. He was pelted with stones and left for dead. He was shipwrecked. He was left at, you know, hungry, thirsty. He goes through this whole list. At one particular point, he was in the city of Damascus preaching the gospel to people, and people didn't like it. And so the governor of Damascus basically put guards around the city, around the city walls, so that he couldn't escape, so that when they caught him, they could arrest him and maybe even put him to death. And this is what Paul said. He said, I had to be lowered in a basket through a window in the city wall to escape from him. I mean, at some point you would think that Paul would say, man, preaching the gospel is not really healthy. <laughs> like it's, I'm on the run. Like this guy wants to capture me and he wants to kill me. I don't know about you, but I've never been lowered in a basket through a window to escape imprisonment. What if the Apostle Paul would have just said, ah, this is really hard. 
I, I, I'm going to give up preaching this gospel message. Guess what? You and I may not be sitting here today if the Apostle Paul saw obstacles as stop signs. Marcus Aurelius uh, was the, Ro the Roman emperor about 2,000 years ago, and he's, he wrote some books. One book uh, that he wrote really wasn't designed to be published. It was, it was really his personal journal called Meditations. Some of you may have that. Uh, Marcus Aurelius is known today as maybe one of the founders of the Stoic philosophy, which I love to read about that stuff because it's really practical stuff, and it, some of it over overlaps with Christianity. Uh, but Marcus Aurelius said this, and I, I love this quote. He said, the impediment or the obstacle to action advances action. What stands in the way for the right type of person, the person who's going to move things forward and make progress, becomes the way. See, there's, there's a person who looks at an obstacle and sees a stop sign, and then there's another person, another type of person that sees an obstacle and says, a ghost, this is a green light. We're going to figure this out. You know the Wright brothers were like that? They were trying to figure out how to fly, and they couldn't use the experience of this person and the experience of that person or this guy's model of a plane because there wasn't any. They were the first one. They were the creators. They were the inventors. And they got to the point where they figured out how they could make a, a plane glide, and that was fine, but they, they couldn't keep it in the air, so they had to figure out how to get this thing motorized. So they started talking to Henry Ford and all these different people about engines. We need an engine. Nobody had a plane engine because it hadn't been invented yet. The brothers actually said, I think it was Orville, he actually said this. He said, we had to go ahead and discover everything ourselves. We had to start from scratch. You know what they did? They built their own engine. Look, here's a picture of it. That's the, that's the engine that the brothers had to stop everything, and now they had to go into the business of building engines so that they could fly their plane. What if they would have said, man, this is too hard? We don't know how to build engines. I mean, we know how to get a flyer in the, in the air for a couple of seconds through the, with the wind, but we don't, we're not Henry Ford. We don't build cars. We don't build engines. You know, they didn't do that. They went and figured it out. You know what they did? They saw their obstacle as an opportunity. One of my, great, one of my favorite stories in the Bible, and I talk about them a lot because there's so much good stuff in, in, in the story of Nehemiah. Uh, one of the greatest examples of being an unreasonable person is Nehemiah. And the story of Nehemiah is kind of this time period in history where uh, God's people were rebellious. They were rebellious. God gave them chance after chance, but they continued to sin. So basically, God raised up the Babylonians to, you know, destroy Jerusalem, and all of the Israelites were, were exiled. And about 60, 70 years goes by. God has mercy on them and starts to bring his people back to Jerusalem. But the city is destroyed and it's in ruins. Nehemiah, as a Jewish man, he catches wind over this. At, the, at this current moment, he's working for a foreign king named Artaxerxes. He finds out what's going on as some of the people are going back to Jerusalem. Listen, listen to the news he gets. Things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. What's the situation? Watch this. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Nehemiah gets this news. He's crushed. He's burdened. He knows that a city without walls is defenseless. He knows that this city is supposed to be a shining light for God's power and God's glory, but it's lying in disgrace. He's burdened. He goes to God. He starts praying. He's weeping. He's fasting. Three months go by. He walks in one day to give the king He's serving his wine, and the king's like, why are you so sad? And, and, and Nehemiah says, how can I not be sad when the city where all my ancestors are buried lies in ruins? So the, 
So the king says, what can I do to help? And Nehemiah makes this most unreasonable request to this foreign, ungodly king. Listen to what he says in chapter 2, verse 5. If it pleases the king, and if you're pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. Now, this is unreasonable for so many reasons. Let me talk about just a few of them. Why is this so unreasonable? Well, what does King Artaxerxes care about the city of, of Jerusalem? If anything, this king is going to, if he helps to rebuild the city of Jerusalem, it's going to become a rival city and they may fight. That's the way kings thought back then. What does he care? He doesn't care anything about this. By the way, if he does send you back, Nehemiah, where are you going to get the resources to rebuild the wall? You're talking about trees. You're talking about bricks. Oh, by the way, where are you going to get the people to rebuild this wall? I mean, how are, you, you haven't been back to Jerusalem in, in decades. You're just going to raise up a group of people who are going to rebuild this wall? Oh, by the way, how are you going to pay the workers to do that? Nehemiah, how could you even think that one person could make such a difference? Have you ever thought to do, that to yourself? What can one person do? I'm just one person. Yeah, he should have been thinking that, but you know what? He was unreasonable, and he didn't allow any of those thoughts to come into his mind. He was unreasonable. Daunted, And so he moves forward, and the king sends him back. And I'll tell you what happens just in a second. But before I do that, I want to make reference to this book, The Obstacle is the Way. I read this a couple years ago. It's not a Christian book, but it's a book about Stoic philosophy written by a guy named Ryan Holiday. Some NBA teams picked this up. Some NFL teams picked this up. CEOs of big, big companies picked this up because it's such a great book when it comes to developing mental toughness and seeing obstacles as opportunities. In the book, Ryan Holiday says this, as it turns out, this is one thing all great men and women in history have in common. What is that? The ability to see obstacles as opportunities to advance, as a catalyst for progress. Like oxygen to a fire, obstacles become fuel for the furnace that was their ambition. He continues, nothing could stop them. They were and continue to be impossible to discourage or contain. Every impediment only served to make the inferno within them burn with even greater ferocity. Don't you love it? And the book is filled with quotes like that. And he looks back into the life of many successful people to prove his point. You see, some people see obstacles as stop signs. Some people see obstacles as opportunities for advancement. And so what happens in the story of Nehemiah? He pushes forward. He casts vision. He gets the elders of Jerusalem on board. He starts to talk to all the people. He gets them excited about rebuilding the walls. He gets the king to help him find trees and bricks. And watch this, chapter 6. Watch what it says. So on October 2nd, the wall was finished just 52 days after they had begun. Incredible. If Nehemiah can lead the people of Jerusalem who were discouraged and down and they hadn't been back there and they really didn't know each other, if he could lead that group of people to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem in 52 days, what could you do in 52 days? Could you get in shape in 52 days? If Nehemiah can build the walls in 52 days, could you? Could you get free from drugs and alcohol in 52 days? Could you repair your marriage in 52 days? Could you restore the relationship with your son, daughter, teenager in 52 days? I think you can. Yes or no? If you see obstacles as opportunities and not stop signs. So how do we become unreasonable? How do we become people who see obstacles as opportunities? I want to share two thoughts with you and then we'll wrap up. 
The first one is this, number one. You have to learn to see obstacles as an education. As an education. You know, years ago, I read a book called Stephen, uh, Stephen Covey. No, Seven Habits of Highly, Sec- Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. And I read some other books around that. It's, it's probably 10, 15 years ago, maybe even longer. And, and I, I learned some principles out of that book that I kind of wanted to see if were true in reality. And, and, I, and I found that, that, that they were. And I watched people who were winning in their life kind of put this into practice. And people who were overcoming obstacles and still making progress in the midst of very hard situations. And I found this, this, this idea to be true. And here, here's what I want to sh- share with you today. Every one of us have obstacles in our life, and every one of us attach meaning to it. Let me show you what I'm talking about. There's the obstacle, and then there's the meaning. Let me give you an example. You get fired from a job. What does this mean to me? It means that for some of us, ah, you know, I'm not... I'm not I can't add much value to the market. I'm not very skilled. Like, I'm not, like, nobody wants me. Like, no, I'm not very marketable. See, that's meaning. That may or may not be true. What, what happened was you got let go from the company. But what does that mean? Well, that's kind of up to you. You attach meaning to the obstacle. Let me give you another example. Uh, boyfriend, girlfriend breaks up with you. You know, they say, I'm done. You know, I don't want to be with you. Maybe someone, gets some, someone says, I want a divorce. I want out of this marriage. There's the obstacle. There's the event. What does that event mean? Well, that's really up to you. And some people will say, well, you know, I, I must be unlovable. There must be something wrong with me, deficient with me. She left me. He left me. They, she, he cheated on me. They cheated on me. So that must mean that there's something deficient or unlovable about me. Well, that, that's, that's, you know, up to you, the meaning that you give the event. Let me give you another example. This is a popular one. Parents raise their kids. They become, you know, young adults, and they start doing stupid stuff. They go off the rails, and they start making terrible choices. Or maybe you got kids that are late te- late in their late teens, and they start failing and doing bad things. And, and all of a sudden, you have this event, this obstacle, that your kid's going off the rails, and here's the meaning. And moms do this. You moms do this. Dads, not so much. What meaning do we give that obstacle? Moms, talk to me. I must be a terrible mom. It's my fault. What did I do? I messed up. I raised the kids wrong. Right? Now, dads are like, kid's an idiot. I mean, what, <laughs> what are you going to do? I mean, we taught, him, we taught him to do the right thing. They didn't do the right thing. I mean, what do you want to do? I mean, it's not my fault. Do you see how we both gave it a different meaning? So here's, here's a new equation I want to give you, and I think this could change some of your lives, because this, this is how we're going to think about obstacles moving forward, and we're going to try to. How about we just leave it blank? There's the obstacle, there's the challenge, and, and, and the meaning is up to me. The meaning is up to you. It's not a given. It's not automatic. Obstacle comes up in my life, and here's the choice we need to make. We need to be, we need to be able to say that this obstacle equals an education. This is time to learn. You mess up with a kid, you're parenting, you do something wrong. Okay, what have I learned from this? You're in a marriage, you make some selfish choices, you make some foolish choices, you hurt your spouse. What did I learn from this? What's the education here? You're at a job, you don't perform, you underperform, you mess up, you do something, you, you, know, you get let go, whatever. What did I learn from this? That's 
what successful people do. They view their obstacles as an education. Many of you know who Thomas Edison, and here, here's a Thomas Edison. Here's a picture of Thomas. And recently picked up a, a, a newly published book by him. It's really thick, and it's really hard to read, but I'm learning about Thomas Edison, things I've never learned before. I didn't know he was deaf. It's incredible. Or he was mostly deaf, um, which helped him, actually, to be a better inventor. Uh, but arguably the greatest inventor of all time, he has 2,335 patents worldwide. 1,093 of those are in the United States. He's most known because of the light bulb, uh, the motion picture, and the phonograph. Those are the, the top three, the big ones. Did you know that during his working life, where he was working as an inventor, he came up with a patent every 14 days? Let that sink in. Most of us will never invent anything ever in our whole life. Most of us are not trying. A patent every 14 days. How does someone pull that off? You could say, oh, he's a genius. That's what geniuses do. His ideas pop in his head. He gets them from outer space. They just come in. No, people do that with successful people. Michael Jordan, he's so talented. So Michael Jordan, so talented. Kobe Bryant, oh, they're so, if I had his talent, really, that's what people think. That's madness. Here's Thomas Edison's psychology. I have not failed. I have just found 10,000 ways that won't work. If you can get this, this will change your life. Most of us view an obstacle or failure as, oh, see, I can't do this. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. I don't know how to be married. I don't know how to run a business. I don't know how to be a parent. I don't know how to. How to. And we give up. We see, we see difficulty and obstacles as a stop sign. Thomas Edison's like, this is an education. We just figured out another way how light bulbs don't work. And then they went back to work the next hour and the next hour and the next hour and over and over and over. He failed until he succeeded because he was learning through the obstacles. Does that make sense? Ryan Holiday says this in, in The Obstacles of the Way. He says, we can see opportunity in every disaster and transform that negative situation that you're in right now, that I'm in right now, as an education, a skill set, or a fortune. Seen properly, listen, everything that happens, everything that happens to us, be it an economic crash or a personal tragedy, is a chance to move forward if we see it as an opportunity. And I'm telling you, that's just what people who are successful people have done. They see the obstacle, and they attach education as the meaning to that obstacle. And that's what you and I have to do in our lives. Back in 2006, when I took over as the senior pastor of this church, um, I was the youth pastor, transitioned, and some of you were here for that. And it just did not go well. At that, in 2006, our church was right around 2,000 people in attendance. We had one location, just the Greenwood campus. And I love Jesus, and I love teenagers, and, you know, uh, everything seemed to be going well in my life until I took over as a senior pastor. When that happened, uh, I successfully led the church in about two years from 2,000 down to about 900. And some of you were here for that roller coaster downward. And every single Sunday, more families would leave and less money would be collected and there'd be more difficulty and more challenges. And, and here's what I was struggling with in my psychology. Here's the, the challenge, the obstacle, the church is failing. In fact, one of our accountants 
This is pretty, pretty sad. One of our accountants decided, or our accountant decided at that time, to print out a graph for me to show me the exact day that our church would be out of money. And she, put, she did it. She's like, and it came down, and it crossed, and it went from black to red, and it's like zero dollars. And it was like, I don't know, two months away. We were two months away from being out of money. And so what do you do as a church when, when that happens, you know? There's nobody you can call. There's no, there's no, there's no, you can't call the government. They're not going to bail you out. I mean, it was that severe. And I thought to myself, here's, here's what's happening. The event, the obstacle over all these challenges means that I am a bad pastor. And I don't know what I'm doing. And I should quit. And I almost did because that's the meaning I was giving to the event. I'm so thankful that through that struggle, I was able to dig deep and say to myself, and God was helping me, what if this failure was an opportunity to learn to lead in a difficult circumstance? And I started to take that psychology and that viewpoint of it, and it helped me to dig deep and keep pushing, and I didn't quit. And today, today, we have six campuses, and we're the 30 fast growing, 31st fastest growing church in America. Amen? All glory to God. And I wasn't reasonable, and I'm sure I made some bad choices. In fact, one time during that period when we were almost out of money, I got up here and I did something really, really dumb. I actually told the church that I wasn't going to eat any food until they started giving. <laughs> yeah, I did that. I did that. Uh, and, and it worked. It worked. I didn't eat for 10 days. I had people coming to the church pleading with me to eat food. And uh, that wasn't the smartest leadership decision I've ever made, but I'm telling you, it was unreasonable. <laughs> I went on a hunger strike to raise money for the church. So I will do whatever it takes. Okay, so number one, we have to see the, op the obstacle as an education. Number two, we have to see the obstacle as a means for our transformation. God wants to change the person you are. He wants to make you into a little Christ-like man, a little Christ-like woman. Someone said one time, and I totally disagree, that difficulty and pain and obstacles don't make the man, they reveal the man. Now, I believe the second part of that. I do not believe the first part. I think seen properly, obstacles, difficulty, pain, actually makes the man or makes the woman if the obstacle is seen Properly. Some of you may know who Viktor Frankl is. Viktor Frankl was an Austrian psych, uh, psychotherapist back in the late 1930s when Hitler was coming to rise. He wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. Here's a picture of Viktor Frankl. Uh, he's now passed away. Um, but he was gathered up, as all the Jews were, in Nazi Germany and Poland and the surrounding areas during World War II, the beginning of World War II, and he was sent to a concentration camp, as were millions of other Jews and Polish people and other people of different uh, nationalities and faiths. Uh, during his time in the concent concentration camp, Viktor Frankl decided that he was going to see this as an education, he was going to learn about how humans deal with the most difficult uh, situation on planet Earth. And it was the most difficult situation on planet Earth. These people, the Jews, were gathered up, arrested for no other reason than the fact that they were Jewish, 
and they were sent to camps that were, some of them were work camps, most of them were death camps. And I don't know how many of you, how much you know about this stuff. I kind of geek out over this World War II stuff, so I, I like to read a lot about it. But these were, these were death camps. So you would basically be taken there by train, you come off the train, you get sent to the gas chamber, and you get gas, and your body is taken out of the gas chamber, and it is burned, and it comes up through the chimney, and it's human ashes. And that's basically what happened to most of the Jews. And if they couldn't get you into a gas chamber, they took you out behind back, and they shot you in the back of the head and put your body on the fire. It's the most horrific thing that the human race has ever seen on planet Earth. Somehow, Viktor Frankl survives all this by the luck of the draw, by chance, and he is just watching. He is observing. He's taking notes. Here's what, here's what he discovered. Most men in the concentration camp believed that the real opportunity of life had passed, which makes complete sense because everyone saw the chimneys, and everyone knew what the chimneys were. Now, the Germans were saying, hey, go in this little room over here. You're going to take a bath. Nobody believed it. They'd go in the room, the gas would come out, the, the, out of the uh, sprinkler system, and everyone would die in about 30 minutes, and then they'd take them away to burn their bodies. So it's totally reasonable for people to say, okay, my life is over. This is a death camp. However, yet, in reality, there was an opportunity and a challenge, to which the people in the concentration camp, and you and I would probably say, What? This is it. This is a death camp. There is no opportunity here. Life is over as we know it. Watch what he says. Here, in the concentration camp, lies the chance for a man either to make use of or forego the opportunities of attaining, watch this, moral values that a difficult situation may afford him. In other words, what he discovered was that there were some people in the concentration camp that were able to rise above the reality of the torture and and the starvation and the beatings and the mockings. They were able to rise above that and develop some internal moral values in the midst of the difficult situation. What he discovered was that the last of the human freedoms, and this is his famous quote, the last of the human freedoms is the ability to choose one's attitude in the midst of any difficult situation. The Germans could take their freedom, their food, their clothes, their material possessions, their watches, everything, even the gold out of their teeth. They could take everything from them, but they could not take away their choice to choose their attitude and to rise above it. Wow. And he said there were a few, there were a few camp, concentration camp prisoners there that were able to do this, which, which gives proof that you and I can do it as well. It's as if he was quoting the Apostle Paul from Romans chapter 5 when Paul said this. We can rejoice too. Imagine that. Rejoice? Really? When we run into problems and trials, for we know that they are developing, say it with me, endurance. What is that? That's an internal character issue. That's something inside of our soul that we develop. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. Wow. So what what, what am I saying? I'm saying that successful people, people that are making progress, becoming the person that that, that God created them to be, and doing the things that God created them to do, they see their obstacles as opportunities to become someone better. To be able to forgive more, to be able to be more patient, to be able to choose their attitude, to be able to rise above the difficulty 
And if you can take that perspective, oh, man, you'd become unstoppable, whatever the obstacles are. They'd become a catalyst that fueled your ambition. See, here, here, here's, let me wrap this up. Here's, here's what I want you to understand. God has something for you to do on this planet, something significant. I'm not talking about inventing planes, and I'm not talking about inventing light bulbs. I mean, those guys were, were, were that's fine, and it, maybe, maybe he wants you to do something like that. I don't know, but maybe on more of a, 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 more of a practical scale, he's got, he's got relations, he's got people that, that need you, that, that need your leadership and your mentorship. There's an impact that he has for you to make at work, in your home. There is, there is significant influence that God has for you on this planet. And, and you need to become the type of person that steps into that and maximizes your impact in this world. The Bible says that you are his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he has prepared in advance for you to accomplish. But the obstacles, here, here's, here's, here's my concern for myself and for you. The obstacles can stop that. The fear and the voices and the limiting beliefs and all this stuff. And so to overcome that, you and I have to become unreasonable people. We have to learn to see our obstacles as opportunities for an education and for transformation. So my question today, and it's a, it's a really important question, and I have to ask myself this all the time. How am I going to see the obstacles in my life? How am I going to view them? Are they going to be something that caused me to quit, caused me to lose hope, caused me to get overwhelmed, caused me to get discouraged? Or are they going to be opportunities for education and transformation. If you can take that perspective, if you can see them properly, and that's really what we're talking about. We're talking about seeing our obstacles with a different lens. You will rise above it, and you will become and do all that God has created you to become and do. Make sense? Let me wrap this up. You know, I'm so glad that God and his son Jesus and the Holy Spirit do not see obstacles as stop signs. Let me explain what I mean. You and I have a major obstacle. Some of you had a major obstacle between you and God, and that is our sin. From the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve broke the law. That sinful nature that they, that they received was inherited from them. You and I come into this world separated from God by this thing called sin. And I'm so glad that God didn't look at that and say, ah, oh, man, let's just give up on these people. They broke the law, they disobeyed. Let's just throw in the towel. No, he didn't do that. He saw the obstacle as an opportunity, an opportunity to demonstrate his character, his love, his mercy, and his justice. By the way, that's what a cross is. When you look at a cross, it is a symbol of God's love. It is also a symbol of God's justice. Why? Because Christ died on that cross. And the penalty of your sin was death. And instead of punishing you, God the Father punished Jesus in your place. So when you look at a cross, yes, it's the love of God. That's why he did it. That's why he sent Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. It is an image of love. It is also an image of justice. Someone had to pay the price for sin. God wasn't just going to sweep it under the rug and say, oh, no problem. Everybody goes to heaven when they die because I'm a God of love. That's not how it works. Someone had to pay the price for sin, your sin, my sin. So Christ does it. 
Listen to how Paul explains it in 2 Corinthians. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin. Why? So that we could be made right with God through Christ. God saw this obstacle of sin, and he came up with a solution. He saw it as an opportunity to demonstrate his love and justice, an opportunity to bring you and I back into fellowship with him. That's the gospel message. When I heard that message, it blew me away because I knew how much of a sinner I was. I knew how wrong I was growing up. I was aware of my deceit. I was aware of my selfishness. I was aware of all of the sin that I was involved in. When I heard that God still loved me and still wanted to be with me, it blew me away. Maybe something connected for you today. If you've never placed your faith in Christ, if you've never asked him to be your savior, maybe today is the day you do that. He died for you, died in your place because he loves you and he wants to be reconciled to you. If you feel led to pray right now to ask Christ to be your savior, I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. It's a prayer of faith. It's a prayer that you can take and make your own, put it into your own words and express your faith to God right now. Reach out to him and ask Christ to forgive you of your sins and to be your savior. Will you pray with me? If you feel led to, just say this to him. Dear Jesus, thank you for being the offering for my sin. Thank you for dying in my place, paying the penalty for my sin, paying a debt that I owed, canceling the curse of death that was held against me. Thank you for loving me enough to do that, to sacrifice your life on my behalf, to make me right with your Father. I ask you to be my Savior in this moment. I ask you to forgive me, cleanse my heart. I turn from my sin and I turn to you. Be my Savior today. I receive your love, I receive your grace. Fill me with your spirit. And from this day forward, help me to simply follow you. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed that prayer at all of our campuses, we wanna rejoice with you, amen. Can we just give God glory, amen. Someone was kind enough to put a Bible in my hands when I trusted Christ, so we'd like to do that for you today. If you trusted Christ, you can text the word SAVE to 65248. Inside of this box, there is a Bible. If you text that number, uh, that word, uh, there is a Bible, a reading plan, some instructions about small group, baptism, and there's also a coffee cup in here to say congratulations. Uh, so if you do that, you can pick one of these up at the information desk at your campus. And if you're watching online, you can just text a, few, a little bit more information and we'll send one of these to you in the mail. One more time, church, can we give God glory, amen? must learn to see obstacles as opportunities. Opportunity for an education, opportunity for transformation. If we do that, we will make the progress that God has designed for us, and that God has planned for us. Will you pray with me? And then I'm going to dismiss to the local teams. Father, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Nehemiah, that he was undaunted. He was unreasonable. He didn't look at all the reasons why it couldn't happen. He put his eyes on you. He trusted you. And he pushed forward 
because he believed the impossible. He embraced the danger and he saw, he saw this massive obstacle as an opportunity to restore glory, to, to restore honor to you and to the city of Jerusalem. God, help us to follow his example. Help us to be unreasonable. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Right now, I'm going to hand things off to the local teams. I love you guys. See you next week.